you have a Bible, grab it. If you don't have a Bible, we have a stack of them back here. We'd love for you to be able to look at the words that we're going to be talking about this morning. I'll even give you the page number that we're going to be on, which will help you get there quickly. So uh, 980 is where the book of Philippians is. We're going to start a new series, and I'm really excited about it. It's going to carry us through the summer. Before we get into it, so we'll be in Philippians chapter 1, and I'll also spend a brief amount of time in Acts chapter 16 for the Bible nerds. You want to go ahead and get ready for those, uh, otherwise the verses will be on the screen. There's some exciting things going on in the life of our church, and I want to just make you aware of them before we open up God's Word together. Uh, the leadership of our church has decided that we ought to um, think about adding another person to our pastoral team. And so we've begun the process of um, developing a job description for somebody that will assist me pastorally and, and help us to accomplish the mission that God has called us to accomplish. It's a really, really exciting thing because what we've asked God for is somebody who shouldn't come here for the amount of money we're going to be able to pay him. <laughs> and, and so we'll know that God is in it. This person will raise part of their salary to join our pastoral team. And, uh, and their primary area of responsibility will be to do whatever Andrew and I tell them to do. Um, you know, their, their primary area of responsibility will be to, to lean into um, part of our strategy that is connection. So, which includes, the biggest part of it includes everything we do for discipleship, from our NT groups to NT students to NT kids. And so this person will oversee all of those things. And so it will allow me uh, and Andrew and other guys on our team to be freed up and we can do what only we can do. And this person will come in and do what only they can do. So our church is in a really, really great place. It's very exciting to think about this early in our church's life that God is stirring in the leadership's heart to add another team member. And so I just want you to know we actually um, have a guy that we are in pretty serious conversations with. And so would you just be praying for uh, him, pray for us as we are making these decisions, pray for his family also, he's, he's married and has, a, has a, um, some offspring, which is a plus, because right, we want to grow the ministry, so our church grew by five people in one week, anyway, that's what I'm looking forward to saying. Um, so, you know, there's a really exciting thing going on. Also, what's going on is that we're really actively pursuing uh, space in the physical near town area. And so the YMCA uh, is a wonderful, wonderful location for us. And we could stay here uh, for, you know, months or a year or something like that. But we're, we are actively pursuing space in the near town area, which is where God has sent us and given us a burning passion to plant. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, we're not exactly sure. Does that mean that we're going to be able to start a second campus in the near town area? Well, it depends on the space. So pray for us that we have wisdom. Uh, fortunately, we're in a great place as a church. Um, we've, we've stayed very lean financially, and so we have some options. And so as you think about continuing to be generous with your tithes and offering, just know that uh, it is making the ministry God has called us to possible. And we're not just trying to keep what we already have. We're, we're, we're able to advance the gospel in the city of Houston, which is very, very very exciting. So those are things that I could talk a whole lot about. I'm very excited about them. Uh, but what I want to do is lead you to think carefully about the first 11 verses of Paul's letter to the Philippians. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll do that. God, you're an awesome God. 
And I just open this word before these people, trusting that your Holy Spirit will use it to minister to our hearts, just like those very first recipients of this letter received it, believing it was a word from you. I pray, God, that we would approach this moment, this sacred moment, believing that these words are from you to us in 2012 in the inner city of Houston. We love you, God. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. What I want you to understand this morning is that gospel partnership grants joy. We've sung about joy a bit this morning. Gospel partnership grants joy no matter the circumstance. Can you imagine that? Joy in the midst of every kind of circumstance. You certainly can understand joy when things are going really, really well. But let's admit it. Things rarely go really, really well. We live in a broken world where we all struggle with things. And even in the best kinds of homes, in the best kinds of work situations, there is struggle. Gospel partnership grants joy no matter the circumstance. So Paul writes this letter to the Philippians from a Roman prison near the end of his life. Ten years after visiting Philippi for the very first time. While in prison, he's awaiting trial and he's accused by fellow Jews of stirring trouble with his claim that the man Jesus was the promised man, Messiah, by God through the Old Testament prophets. It's not the first time he's been arrested. Paul's actually been arrested three times. And the reason that he continues to get arrested is because what he is doing is grabbing the attention of people. He's preaching a message that Jesus is the Messiah. Not only that, there are miracles supporting his message. Like something is different about this guy. The Jews do not like it. So they call for his arrest on several different occasions. They accuse him of stirring up trouble and dissension and rebellion against the Roman government. Now, this arrest might prove to be more serious because his sentence could result in his death. His, he was suffering. Now, the situation in Philippi was troubling also. The city was corrupted by many false religions and pagan practices, and there were some Jews who claimed to be Christian, corrupting the gospel by preaching that a person must become a Jew before becoming a Christian. It was a legalistic gospel. You must do things first before God can save you. That's legalism. That's a false gospel. The Christian community in Philippi was weakening and becoming disconnected. The Philippians were struggling. Paul and the Philippian Christians live in difficult circumstances. They are suffering. But the theme of this letter is joy. It's so strange, really. There are some things in the Bible that are so strange. How in the world can this man who is in prison write to a group of people who are struggling, who are being weakened by their circumstance, how in the world can the theme of the letter be joy? Well, gospel partnership grants joy no matter the circumstance. So the Philippians heard that Paul was arrested. They sent one of their own, Epaphroditus, 
to go to Paul. And they sent with Paul, or Epaphroditus, provisions for Paul to comfort him in his struggle. Well, shortly after Epaphroditus got there, he was ill. So the word got back to Philippi that Epaphroditus was sick. Paul was still in prison. And so they were even more stressed out by it. Paul heard that. So Paul sends Epaphroditus back quickly to them. And when he sends this man, Epaphroditus, who has just recovered from this very serious illness back to them, he sends a letter with Epaphroditus to the Philippians. And this is the letter that we read. I want you to understand something about the passage today. I want you to think about this idea of partnership. I said gospel partnership grants joy. I want us to begin thinking really carefully about what does it mean when Paul acknowledges their partnership in the verses we're about to read. I don't know any better way to illustrate partnership than to invite one of our own up here. Come up here, Marcus. Marcus is going to help us illustrate this. Yeah, come right over here if you don't mind. Now, Marcus and Crystal, uh, they're a beautiful family. They're here week in and week out, and they sit right there. I love it. Um, if you ever were not there, I would worry something happened to you. So, um, Marcus is a police officer, Houston Police Department. What area of Houston Police Department do you work in, Marcus? Uh, currently in uh, the crime reduction unit, which is just a small part of the game. Thank you. Yeah, so that sounds pretty awesome. Like, I'm a pastor. But he works in the crime, something related to gangs. So, you know, that's awesome. Um, so, obviously, in your field of work, partnership is really, really important. What makes a good partner to a police officer? Uh, well, obviously, somebody that has your back, somebody who knows kind of uh, your tendencies. Uh, you kind of have just a good feel for each other. And it's not somebody that you, I mean, you just, everybody starts off with somebody, but probably take a while to get, get used to each other and just the way you work. And uh, from things as small and stupid as like clerical work and paperwork all the way up to what you do in the split, split second decision on the street or, you know, when you're faced with somebody that's out to get you. Yeah. So partnership in your field can be something that helps you with something as simple as paperwork, which is good. You have to be, you have to be willing to work on simple things. But it also can help you in life or death situations. So tell us a little bit about your partner. Uh, my partner is actually my cousin, uh, Josh. So we grew up together. He's about six years younger than me, but we were all, always we were little. We talked about it. It would be cool if we were cops and we were partners and stuff. And I would drive and he would run. And, <laughs> but we just pretty much switched off every night. But, uh, yeah. um, that's my partner. So I feel like we basically got a really great knowledge base of, of each other just, just about every, every way possible. And so we're real lucky in that way. Um, so a lot of times, whereas some partners, it's like, you know, bad marriage and it's ex-wives and they're all, you know, switching partners every week because they get into a fight and stuff, something like that. And we're, we've pretty much been together since the beginning and a lot of times we don't have to talk. We're driving, I see something and I kind of, if I look that way, it's like, oh, yeah. and then, you know, we're, we're turning on. And yeah. so we just get, we get a really good feel for each other and kind of don't have to talk. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's wonderful when you, when you don't. When you trust your partners, what you're saying, you trust one of them. So in partnership, you have to be willing to work together. And also, uh, you have to be able to trust that person. Um, yeah, so that's incredible. Thank you, Marcus. That helps us out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so partnership is really, really important. We talk a lot about as a church mission partnership. Like we are in this together. 
we ask people who have been visiting for a few times to consider mission partnership. Because we say, hey, if you're kind of getting to know us, we're getting to know you. And at some point, we have to say, hey, can I trust you? And are you willing to commit to trusting me? Can we walk together on this mission? So would you stand your feet as we read together Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. Here's what it says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So Timothy is with Paul as he's writing from this Roman prison. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Well, Paul commonly begins his letter with a prayer and thanksgiving. This is common in letters like this during this day. But here we notice that Paul lingers with his affection. He, he remains in this, in this sweet moment where he's telling the Philippians how much they mean to him. Look verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. It's alluding to prayer. Verse 3 also. Making my prayer with joy. And he continues. Verse 7. I hold you in my heart. Now if a, a man ever wrote me a letter saying I hold you in my heart, I would be suspect. Um, but, but what we ought to see here is that Paul loves them deeply. Verse 8 also. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is a like, right on love letter that he's writing here to them, isn't it? Paul loves these people deeply. He thanks God for them. He, he prays for them often. But why in the world does he pray for them? Here it is in verse 5. Because of their partnership with him in the gospel from the first day until now. Now Paul's ministry in Philippi started in a very unique way. When Paul was converted, he became he was converted from a, a Jewish zealot who persecuted and even orchestrated the murder of Christians. He was converted from that kind of a person, self-acclaimed chief of sinners, to a Christian believer who was an apostle. So he would take the good news of Jesus Christ, telling his own story of conversion to people that had not received it. So what would typically happen is he would go into cities and he would go into the synagogue first. Now, for any area to justify a synagogue, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men. Well, Philippi must not have had at least 10 Jewish men. It's largely Roman. This was a place where when people retired from the Roman army, 
they would move to and their descendants would remain there. So it was a very diverse area. and There weren't many Jews there, mostly Gentiles. And so when Paul went to Philippi, because God led him there, this major city, it's a major because it's in a major trade route. When he went there, there was no synagogue, so he heard about this group of people that gathered on the outside of the city down by the river. So he went down to the river, and there was a group of few women down there. And he went to the uh, river and met with those women on a Sabbath, and they're there worshiping the God of the Old Testament. And he says to them, I want to tell you how the God of Old Testament has become flesh in the form of this man named Jesus. You've been longing for, awaiting a Messiah. His name is Jesus. When he preached the gospel to them, there is one woman who believed, and her name was Lydia. Now, it's remarkable in the Bible, uh, when we read about anybody coming to Christ, and, but there's something extra special, I think, Whenever we read about when one person comes to Christ and that one conversion sparks something really, really beautiful and incredible in the community. So in Acts chapter 16, listen if you want to or if you're there, you can read along. Acts chapter 16 verse 13 tells about when Paul saw Lydia and preached the gospel to her. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. We sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. Now let me tell you something about Lydia. In Greek society, women were esteemed. It's different than Jewish society. Women are typically marginalized. Uh, but in Greek society, the women are esteemed. They're held in high esteem, respected. Not only was she a woman, but she was religious. She had a religion. She was a Greek, converted to Judaism. So she practiced the religion of the Jews. Not only that, but she had money. She had a lot going for her. Sometimes when we think about the work of the gospel, we think, well, the people that need Jesus are those people that are poor and have nothing. Now, that is true. But maybe never forget that there are plenty of people in our world with lots of resources and lots of things going for them that have acknowledged their sin before God, repented of it, and placed their faith in Jesus, receiving the gospel. When Lydia heard the gospel, her life was changed. And then she did what every person who genuinely trusts Jesus as Lord should do. She went to the people closest to her. She went to her family. And she told them the gospel. She told them about this man by the name of Jesus who came and died on the cross so that their sins could be forgiven. And they believed. And as a sign of their belief, they were all baptized by immersion. The church in Philippi was birthed through the faith of one simple woman. We can't miss this. And here we are, 2,000 years, talking about Paul's letter to the Philippians. And it started with one simple woman down by the river. Believing that sparked something incredible and beautiful and powerful. And the work in Philippi didn't stop there. Paul continued to go down by the river because the word grew about his presence and the things that were going on. And on his way to the river, Acts chapter 16 says, there was a girl possessed by a demon that was annoying Paul. Paul cast out the demon. 
It really irritated the merchants uh, because they would use her to make money. So he cast out the demon in her. Well, the irritated merchants uh, decided that they wanted Paul gotten rid of. So they had him arrested. Acts chapter 16 tells the story when Paul was arrested. Paul and Silas are both there. He's arrested. During the middle of the night, there's an earthquake. The doors of the jail come open. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. Whenever the guard noticed that the doors of the jail had come open because of the earthquake, he went to kill himself. Because he just knew that the, that the prisoners had escaped and he was going to be killed anyway. But before he could, Paul hollers at him, do not kill yourself. We're still here. The jailer knew something else was going on. He knew that these men were different. So Paul told them the gospel. He told them how he could be saved from his sin. He believed not only him, but his entire household, the Bible says. Things were happening in Philippi. And it began with the faith of one simple person. It was a tough area to do ministry. I oftentimes think about how tough it is, this area that we've been sent to, to do ministry. We're in an incredibly diverse city. Diverse in every way. Did you know that this is the, ethnic, the ethnic, most ethnically diverse city in the United States? Did you know that? Houston just surpassed Los Angeles. There are somewhere, I've heard, 350 to 450 different ethno-linguistic groups in the city of Houston. You all, you know that. We have a diversity of ethnicity in this room. We live in a city where the prevailing uh, religion inside the loop specifically is uh, that what you believe is right. That's the religion. Whatever sort of faith system I can piece together, it's called syncretism. It's like I'm going to sync up what I like from this. I'm going to sync up what I like from this and this and this and this and this. I'm going to combine it here. This is my religion. And you can't tell me otherwise. What right do you have to tell me that what I believe is not true? We live in a fast-paced, growing city. 2,500 people a week are moving to Houston. Did you know that? They're saying by 2020, we will surpass Chicago as the third largest city in the United States. We're in a tough area. So are the Philippians. But God showed up. How did he show up? Through the faithful witness of Paul? Simple faith. A one woman named Lydia. I want you to be encouraged as you think about this with respect to your role as a partner in your church. And not all of you are mission partners, and I would love for you all to be. But I think in this moment, we ought to acknowledge Paul holding up as a wonderful thing when a group of people partner together for the work of God in an area, specifically here in Philippi, but for us, Houston, in the near town area. I want you to be encouraged to know that although the task feels big and intimidating, and you wonder how in the world could God use you and the lives of the people that are around you that don't love Jesus, that you tried to pray for, you tried to minister to, you tried to share Christ with, it feels tough, so tough. If God could use this little woman named Lydia down by the river to spark what is one of the strongest churches represented in the New Testament in Philippi, 
God can use you. And you don't have to be the most charismatic, the most capable, the best looking person, although you all are wonderful and good looking and all of that. All you have to do is be faithful. Just be faithful. Do your part in the partnership. Partnership begins with one person taking a step. Some of you are visiting here today, and you've been visiting other churches, and our church, our city has many wonderful churches. You know, you, you could fill them all up ten times on a Sunday, and we would uh, not have 90% of the people in our city in church, you know? I mean, there's some incredible things if you begin to think about that. And in some churches, it just makes sense to kind of casually come in the back and leave and kind of come as... Come, you know, you, you sort of set up the arrangement of expectation. And that's fine. I want you all to feel comfortable coming and checking out. But at some point, what I want to call you to is partnership. I want to say to you that what God wants to do in this city is significant. And what is required is that a group of people take steps together. Say, yes, I'm with you and you're with me. I'll show up every single Sunday. I will show up and be generous with my tithes and offering. I will show up in conversation. I will take the time to care for people like Jordan and others of you that are struggling. I, I, this is what it looks like to be partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's affirming the Philippians for their partnership because it's encouraging to him. He hears about their good work continuing 10 years after he's left. Partnership begins with one person. Partnership happens when people say yes to Jesus on an ongoing basis. And partnership is absolutely necessary for the gospel to spread. This is why we talk so much about it's us, not me. I'm really not like super preacher, super capable guy. There's some guys in ministry that have like a golden touch and a golden voice. That's not me. So what I know, we've got to have a church that says, hey, we're all in this together. You in? Good. You're not? Okay. God bless you. If you just want to attend a service, then, you know, attend this one, sure, but you'll get bored. Um, but are we are in this together. We are in this together. And because of their partnership, Paul prays this for them. Look in verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. I love places like this in the Bible. Because he's like, hey, it's really awesome what you're doing. But you know what? Let's pray. God would pour out more. Let us never settle for like where we are right now. Let's stay hungry. Let's stay passionate. Let's continue to long for a special revelation of God in the form of love in our hearts that spill out so that we can continue to strengthen our partnership with one another and so that we continue to see God use us in the lives of people. And it's not some kind of emotional flippant kind of a love. It's the kind of love that's described by Paul in this way. With knowledge and discernment. It's a wise kind of love. So that you may be able to approve what is excellent. Be pure and blindness for the day of Christ. I long for the day before, when we stand before Jesus and, we, and Jesus looks at us and he says, well done. Your partnership with one another as a part of what I want to do in this city. It's really, really good. You're faithful. That's all I want. Maybe, may we be the kind of people that 
partner in the same way that those Philippians did. Paul affirmed it in them. So what do we think about in conclusion? Well, let us pray that our love for one another will grow. I don't mean the kind of love that makes us feel good. You know, like that kind of temporary, flippant kind of love. Like when you make me feel good about myself, I really love you. You know, that kind of love. I'm talking about the kind of love that's strong and steadfast. The kind of love that's honest. And the kind of love where you can, you, can, you can really see past the exterior into the soul of somebody. And encourage them and, 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 and instruct them. I mean, this kind of love, strong Faithful kind of love. May this grow in our congregation. I pray, I beg God for it. You know what the Bible says, John chapter 13? Jesus said, the world will know me, Jesus, by how you love one another. I pray that our love will, will grow for one another. Gospel partnership grants joy. So may we never be the kind of people who partner casually. If you partner casually, and when you struggle, you will struggle to find joy. You get that? If you partner casually, like if you kind of casually approach what it means to be the church together in partnership, then when you struggle, you'll be unsure of whether or not somebody cares about you enough that you could share your concern with them. May we never partner casually. You struggle when others struggle. It's important that we're together. It's important that we're together so that we can see the advance of the gospel in the near-fed area. That's our prayer. That's my prayer.